Trinity Harbor Church offers the following audio recording as a ministry without charge or legal restriction. We're located in downtown Rockwall, Texas, serving the greater Northeast Dallas area. For more information, visit us online at trinityharborchurch.com. Our prayer is that by this message, you will encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. We're continuing our sermon series in God's mission. And today we're going to be taking a look at the last clause of our mission statement, which is establishing churches that extend God's kingdom. And since it's the first week, we're going to be taking a negative, we're going to take a look at a negative example from the book of Jonah. Now, if you're like me and you grew up in church, uh, you know, the story of Jonah and the whale is the stuff of Sunday school lore, where you have this Old Testament hero who goes, this big evangelist, and goes to Nineveh, this evil city. And 120,000 people repent. I remember watching the story play out on the felt board. You know, watching Jonah run. Watching him get swallowed by the whale. And then he finally goes to Nineveh. And he preaches. And everybody repents. Everybody wins, right? Moral of the story is kids, if you don't go out and evangelize, you're going to get eaten by a whale. But the thing thing about that is that 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 portion of the story only gets us to Jonah chapter 3. And there's four chapters in Jonah. And Jonah 4 tells us that there's far more to the story than this idea that Jonah is a hero. And so that's where we're going to be today. And so if you would, let's go to Jonah 4. And it's also printed for you in your worship guide. And if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. And the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed the scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? It's the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Why have we been talking about God's mission all this time? Why is it that God's mission is so central to everything that we've talked about that we are as a church? What's the importance of God's mission? And what we've said is that The mission of God is not something that's trivial. It's not something you can take it if you like it. If you don't like it, you can just leave it. It's not something that it says you're saved over here, 
but God has this mission over here on the side that doesn't really involve you, and you can participate if you want, and it's really up to you. We've talked about the fact that the mission of God is the very purpose that He has for all of creation, including us. And from today's text, we learn that all of us at some point will live out the story of Jonah 4. At some point, we'll find ourselves in that private conversation with God, wrestling with what we want and wrestling with what God wants. And inevitably, we will say back to God, I like the shade. I think I'm going to stay right here. Now we pick up today's text at the end of the story. Nineveh has just repented at the end of chapter 3, and God has relented from destroying them. So what's happened to our friend Jonah? Well, in the very next verse it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Now let's step back for a second. So Jonah, you're telling me that you're a prophet. You're God's chosen mouthpiece to speak His words. He saves you from drowning in the sea by causing a fish to come along and rescue you. You go to Nineveh, preach a sermon, and 120,000 souls repent and honor God. And you're angry. There's something deeply off about the story. So we have to ask the question, why are you so angry, Jonah? But before we can understand the answer to that question, there's a few things about Jonah's story that we need to understand. See, Nineveh was one of the largest cities of the ancient world. Nineveh belonged to the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were one of the largest empires of the ancient world. And the Assyrians were also a sworn enemy of Israel. The Assyrians were known for being a brutal, brutal race of people. And they were known for recording all the ways in which they were cruel and the ways that they would invent torture of the people that they conquered. And they would line their streets with the heads of their enemies on pikes. And God comes to Jonah and He says, Jonah, I want you to rise up. I want you to go to those torture artists in Nineveh. Jonah says, he gets up and he says, no thanks. He goes the complete opposite direction. Can't say I blame him. But what motivates Jonah isn't fear. What motivates him fleeing the other direction isn't fear. It's hatred. You see, the Bible never presents judgment as some standalone idea that's off by itself. The Bible always couples judgment with repentance. That if God is extending judgment and proclaiming judgment, it also means that He's giving the opportunity for repentance because they're two sides of the same coin. And that's what Jonah hates. Because if God is sending him to Nineveh to pronounce judgment, Jonah also knows that God will give them the opportunity for repentance. And that's what Jonah hates. And he says, really? Them? Our enemies? Do you not care about what they've done to us? You don't care about justice. But Nineveh does repent. And we come upon Jonah outside, sulking in the heat. And he goes outside the city and he thinks that maybe, maybe, just maybe, God will come to his senses and wipe Nineveh off the face of the earth. And he sits there and he waits. But God doesn't. And Jonah told God, he said, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you were a gracious God, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. I have served you my entire life, and here you want to pardon these sinners? Kill me. 
I'd much rather die than serve you on those terms. But despite Jonah's response, God was still gracious to Jonah. And he causes a plant to come up over Jonah to protect him from his discomfort. And it made Jonah exceedingly happy that God comforted him. But the next day when the plant was gone, when the sun rose, Jonah began to feel that heat all over again. Like a summer day in Texas. Just feeling the heat beat down on him. And once again, Jonah feels discomfort. And he says, kill me. It's better for me to die. And God asks him one more question. He says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry about the plant? Jonah says, yep. I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And in that moment, God boils Jonah down to what he truly values more than anything else. His own comfort. Jonah valued his comfort above all else. Jonah mourns the loss of a shade, the loss of shade more than the loss of an entire city filled with people. And he's completely okay with it. Jonah shows that his real mission in life is protecting his own comfort. And like I said, sooner or later, we will be challenged with that very same fact. Do we love ourselves more than the lost? Do we view God's mission as a threat to our comfort? Now, it's easy to pick on Jonah. It's easy to read a story like this or even read about the Pharisees in the New Testament or the disciples, you know, and to think, you know, if that was me, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that at all. I'd follow you, Jesus. I'm not like them. But before we knock Jonah, let's put it in our context for a second. What if on September 12, 2001, Jesus came to you and said, I want you to go and proclaim my goodness and my compassion and my forgiveness to Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. Tell them how much I love them. Or maybe, what if God came to you and said, I want you to go and tell about my forgiveness and grace for sinners to Ariel Castro the day after he was arrested for keeping three women as slaves in his home in Cleveland for over 10 years. Any takers? The point of the story is that we are all Jonah. And Jonah is us. The same sin that lurks in Jonah's heart lurks in ours. And I know it lurks in mine. Two years ago, I went to uh, Senegal with the seminary that I, that I attended. And they told us before we went that Senegal is a tough place. It's a third world country. It's a tough place to go. And you're going to be, you're going to be shocked. There's a lot of shock value that you're going to have to get over. And I thought, that's okay. I'm doing this for Jesus. I got it. It's all right. So we get there. And sure enough, it was a tough place covered in trash. This third world country that I'd never been in before. And one of the first things we did on the very first day was we actually wanted to go see an island that was actually an important island and location in the transatlantic slave trade of centuries past. And now they've converted it to a museum for people to come and look at the history. And so we decided to go there. And the second we stepped outside of our hotel to go walk to this ferry to take us to the island, we were absolutely bombarded. People coming up to us wanting to sell us something. 
They'd come up to us and put stuff in our hand. They'd grab us if we were talking to somebody. They'd step in between us and like get in between us so that they could talk to us. They'd grab our hands and put the stuff in it. And when we would try to give it back, they wouldn't. They'd ask for more money. We had people that would come up and try to wash your shoes and shine your shoes as you're walking. They wouldn't go away. They kept coming up to you, coming up to you every 20 feet. They wouldn't stop the whole time. For eight hours, we did that. And I walked back to my hotel room, and I walked up to the balcony, and I looked out over the city, over the half-finished cinder block buildings, the city covered in trash and dirt roads, and I thought to myself, what a dump. I can't stand this place. I can't stand these people. I'm ready to go home. And in that moment, God convicted my heart like I can never remember another time quite like it. The words popped into my head, that's the exact same world I stepped into for you. I am Jonah. How quickly I was willing to step away from God's mission as soon as I felt a little tired and a little discomfort. All it took was some trash and a few dirt roads before my commitment to my comfort was fully exposed. I wanted God to serve my, my mission of comfort and ease on my terms more than I wanted to participate in His mission of redemption. And that's the very challenge of this text, is that God's compassion confronts your comfort. God's compassion confronts your comfort. You see, Jonah drew these big lines around himself to separate himself and divide himself from those that he hated so that he could pick and choose who it was that deserved grace and who didn't. As if he would be any different than his enemies if it weren't for God's grace and love for him. Jonah allowed this privileged position that he had of knowing the true God, and it turned into his prejudice of others because he didn't understand God's love and compassion for him. So let me ask you, what lines do you draw around this church? to make yourself more comfortable? What lines do you draw around this church to keep those that make you uncomfortable out because it's easier? What lines do you draw that say, you're a sinner and you don't belong in here? So we draw these lines to protect ourselves. Now, if we could be honest with ourselves for a second, this is the South, and we all think Jesus is a Republican. But maybe it's Democrats, or maybe it's people that don't think like you do politically. Because in the end, what you really care, care about more than anything is establishing an earthly kingdom far more than you care about the kingdom of God. And anybody that disagrees with you is ignorant and unenlightened. And how could they possibly think that way and claim to love Jesus? Or maybe for some of us, we carry on a silent war in our heart against homosexuals. And we think to ourselves... They're not like us. And the Bible obviously says that it's wrong, and so they need to fix themselves before they can come in here because the Bible requires that somehow they magically transform themselves outside the community of transformation before they can step into it and receive the grace and compassion and transforming love of Jesus because we think our heterosexual lust is any different. Or maybe we carry on a war in our hearts against the homeless that maybe they just, they obviously are in this position because they made decisions about themselves. They made poor decisions to get where they are. They just stop being so lazy 
and just get a job, then Jesus would accept them because we know that Jesus only helps those who help themselves. You see, we make, we get these ideas that the mission of God is that He wants to create people just like us. We get this idea that He wants to create people just like me so I don't have to sacrifice my comfort to love others the way that Jesus wants me to love them. And just like the disciples, when Jesus goes to minister a Samaritan woman, a tax collector, a leper, all these people that existed outside of society's lines, the disciples go to Him and they say, why are you doing that? Don't you, don't you know who that person is? Don't you know what they've done? Don't you know who they are? What are you doing? And Jesus simply responds, He says, I'm doing what pleases my Father. See, it's easy for us to make the church into a, a vacation home for the, the clean, the healthy, and the wealthy, and we forget the fact that we're called to be a haven of rest for those who are filthy, broken, downcast, downtrodden, overwhelmed by their sin. Because we offer the greatest hope that the world has ever known. Because what we believe about others reflects what we believe about the gospel. Because the gospel doesn't give us a middle ground. The Bible doesn't draw lines between hate and indifference. It treats them as the exact same. And that if we don't love others with God's heart for sinners, then by default we hate them. Penn and Teller from the uh, magicians, uh, the magicians Penn and Teller, one of them, uh, the members Penn, is an outspoken atheist. He speaks about religion and all the time. And here's one of the things he said about evangelism. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize or evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to evangelize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? That's a good question from an atheist. Because who sits in a lifeboat paddling away watching others drown? If we're honest with ourselves, we paddle through life, passing by our coworkers, family members, next door neighbors, without ever extending to them the life of the gospel. And at the end of Jonah 4, God finally responds and he speaks up. He says, You pity the loss of a day's worth of shade more than you pity the destruction of 120,000 people. How much do you have to hate them to withhold my love for them? What makes you think you are a part of my people? You look and act nothing like me. But Jonah sure loved it when God was compassionate to him. He sure loved it when God gave him good things. He just didn't want to be used to show God's compassion for others, especially those that made him uncomfortable and those that he hated. And because God was so compassionate towards sinners, Jonah didn't want to participate in God's mission. But here's the thing. It's precisely God's compassion for sinners that should propel us boldly into God's mission. 
It's precisely the fact that he wants to save sinners and heal them and transform them that should motivate us to go out to the world and say, come in, come in. There's grace for you. Jesus loves you so much because he loves me. Come in and find rest and shade from your discomfort. That's the greatest news anyone will ever hear. Back in January, my sister called me and um, she said, went to the doctor today and they uh, did, did some tests and they found, they found some, a mass by your collarbone that looks really irregular and it doesn't look good and they're going to do some more tests. And the problem was is that she had cancer in that same spot 10 years before. And she went through the nightmare of chemotherapy and radiation and watching her hair fall out and watching her just be brought to this frail human being clinging to life. And all that comes back again as she says, they're going to do some more tests. Only problem this time was that she's actually a few weeks pregnant. And so we sit and we wait for a week, two weeks. And one day on Wednesday morning, at 8.30, I was in my office, and I get a phone call, and I saw that it was her. And I knew what it was about. Picked up the phone, said hello, and I heard her on the other end crying. And she said, I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean. There's no cancer, there's no cancer, there's no cancer. And we just rejoiced in that beautiful news together. Now how awkward would it be if the conversation went like this? Hello? Hey, what's going on? Oh, not a whole lot, just here at work. What are you doing? Oh, just on my way to work. Just uh, just got off the phone with the doctor and evidently there's no cancer at all or whatever. So, Oh, good. Great. What do you got going on at work today? The content of the conversation determines how it should be proclaimed. That sometimes there's news that's so good, it has to be proclaimed. And if the gospel isn't life to us, then all we're going to be doing is left complaining about what it asks of us. We'll be complaining about the loss of momentary comfort rather than treasuring the joy and the eternal glory that God offers us in Christ. Who's someone in your life that you would like to see meet Jesus? Because there are people all around us that are desperate for Jesus, living quiet lives of desperation. Your next-door neighbor person in the office next to you, somebody that you pass every day at a coffee shop. Now, I'm not talking about sliding in their office, putting a track on their desk that says, where will you spend eternity? You know, with eternity and flames on it or something like that, and some demons. But I'm asking, who is somebody that you want to know Jesus? Who is somebody that you want to talk to? Maybe the first step is simply asking them, how's life going for you right now? And you just step into their store and you love them right where they are. Or maybe it's inviting them to man time. Maybe it's inviting them to the women's Bible study. 
because they so desperately need a friend and they're absolutely lonely. And they go through life simply asking the question, is this it? Is this life? Is this all it has to offer? Or maybe you can invite them into your home for dinner because Jesus wants to show them His great love and compassion by giving them you. He wants to give them you. Now, some of you may be thinking, you know, it's really hard for me to evangelize. I'm not very good at it. I don't know the first place to begin. It scares me to death. I don't feel like I have anything to say, and I don't feel like I have anything to offer. I like the shade. I like the shade. Well, you're right. Living out God's mission isn't easy. It takes a lot of energy, a lot of effort. And it's hard. It's hard. But let the story of Jonah give you encouragement. Because Jonah preaches the worst sermon ever. Okay? Worst sermon ever. And you can just hear the disdain in his voice as he gets up there and preaches. And this is exactly what he says. Yet in 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all he says. Drops the microphone. Thank you, Nineveh. Good night. He's out. Blazing a trail. But God is still gracious and compassionate and saves 120,000 souls because God's mission is to save sinners. It doesn't matter what you bring to the table or what you think you can or can't do. God is compassionate. And He loves saving sinners. And He loves using you to do it. You see, your comfort lies to you. It says it's better to stay where you feel comfortable. It's better to stay where, you know, it's kind of your safety zone, like your little safety net. It's better to stay comfortable because you don't know what will happen out there. But the one thing that often gets forgotten about is that God's mission is about joy. God's mission is about joy. When we participate in God's mission, yes, it's difficult, and it does cost you something, absolutely. But God promises that the joy will be far greater. What mother in here, they have the opportunity to go back and not have their child, would say, you know what, if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't have my child because the pain and difficulty and suffering of labor was just too difficult. I would never do it. There are some joys that require that you go through pain and discomfort to experience because they are far too precious. And God promises that the everlasting joy He offers us is far greater than any comfort you could ever create for yourself or anything else that you could possibly imagine. And he says, come and join me in my mission and see what happens. See what happens. See, Jonah walked outside the city and he sat down, hopefully waiting for all of Nineveh to be completely destroyed so that he could smile and say yes. And as he sat under the plant that God sent to comfort him, Jonah misses the one major point that God is telling him. Jonah, you are the plant. You were the plant. You love the shade and rest that the plant I sent you gives you. But just like the plant, you fail to recognize that I sent you to offer shade and rest to all of Nineveh from the heat of my wrath and from eternal destruction. And you missed it. You chose momentary comfort more 
than eternal joy that I displayed before you. Next week, we're going back to Rajamundri. And Tim, Bill, and I. And I'm even more excited than I was last year. Last year, we were, it was our first time, and we didn't quite know what to expect. We just, we were excited, and we were ready to go. And the first day we got to Rajamundri, we went out into the deep forest to visit the churches in the deep forest. So we visited four churches that day, and the second church we got to, we did the same thing we do for all the churches. We did a short, we did a short devotional, then we pray for each of the, uh, for each of the people in the church, and then we hand out rice. But then at the second church we were at, Isaiah and Ananth came up to us and they said, we have two converts that we'd love for you to baptize. Would you be willing to baptize them? And we said, of course, absolutely. And so we all jumped in the van and we started heading out in the sticks. Don't even know where we were, by the way, just out into this, out by this lake. But the thing is, there's only one woman because one of the women actually couldn't make it and they didn't know where she was. So we baptized the woman that was there. We went out into the lake. I remember Bill baptizing her and pulling her up and her just wiping her eyes immediately and just crying and then watching her and the women that she was with sing a song about how Jesus washes away her sin. And that was awesome. The joy I felt was incredible. But that's not, that's not it. We got in the van. We started driving back. We waved goodbye to the church whenever we drove by it. Then we kept going to the next village. But as we were going along, we saw two women walking the other way. So we stopped. Isaiah and I told the bus driver to stop, so he slams on the brakes. And the two women walk back up to the, to the van, opens the door, and they start talking for quite some time. And Isaiah and I, they turned to us and they said, this is the woman that was supposed to be at the church to be baptized, but she's late because she's had a very long journey to get here, and she passed out on the side of the road from the heat. And she was late. And we told her that we don't have time to go back to the lake to baptize her. We said, are you kidding? We're Presbyterian. If there's water, it's good enough for us. <laughs> so thanks to Coca-Cola Bottling Company, we got a water bottle out, and we got out on the side of a dirt road, and we baptized this woman. And Bill gave her a new name, Lydia. And as he's baptizing her, tears just running down her face. She's crying. I'm crying. You know Bill's crying. You know, it's the name of the Father. And this, yeah, he's just barely able to get it out. And I thought to myself, this just doesn't get any better than this, to watch this happen. What is this? The book of Acts? This is awesome. And I thought to myself, I guess good things do happen on dirt roads after all, if we're willing to step into it. But the story's not over yet. Fast forward four days teaching the pastors on the last day, and they wanted to learn about suffering. All of these pastors have been beaten. They suffer all sorts of injustice. Their life is um, beyond anything we could imagine. And they wanted to learn about suffering. And so, of course, you know, you feel like, what do I have to tell them about suffering? But we went wanting to serve them and hopefully that God would use us to speak to them whenever they needed so much comfort. And at the end of it, one of the pastors got up, this frail old man named Pastor Raju, and he stood up and he started talking for a long time. And then Isaiah turned, or Anunth turned to us and told us what he said. He said, I, I go into a village and every time I do, I, I beat a drum so to gather everybody's attention and to gather them so that I can preach to them and tell them about Jesus. But this one village in particular, they said, if you ever come back here, 
we're going to beat you like you beat the drum. He went back. He beat his drum. And he started telling them about Jesus. And they stayed true to their word. They beat him. And they beat him pretty bad. This frail old man. And then he said, but now I know why I suffer the things I suffer. All this time I've thought that it was Satan causing these things to happen to me because I believed in Jesus. He said, but now I know that it's because I belong to Jesus that I'm suffering these things. Because I know that if I share in His sufferings, I will also share in His glory. And I understand now that I'm suffering these things because Jesus loves me and wants others to be saved. And he said, I know that because that village that beat me has just received its first convert. And we said, that's excellent. Who is it? And he said, well, you know her. He said, you guys baptized her on the side of the road four days ago. And he said, my prayer is that the ministry... He said, my prayer is that the ministry of this generation would grow into a gigantic tree that offers shade and rest for generations to come. And when he said that, the gospel was more real to me and God's mission than it ever has been in my entire life. And the joy I felt was beyond words. The only thing was, is that it didn't compare at all to Pastor Raju's joy. And I sat there and I looked at that man and I thought, what kind of joy has God given that man? That he looks at everything that he suffered and says, you know what? It's worth it. So worth it. And I do it all over again. Not on my best day have I ever felt that kind of joy, living my life of ease and comfort. And it was Pastor Raju that taught me about suffering. Friends, the joy that your heart truly longs for can only be found when you sacrifice yourself. See, the story of Jonah longs for a hero because God is asking the question, who is it that will share with me in the joy of my mission of redemption and showing my great love for great sinners? And that hero is Jesus. Because just like Jonah, Jesus walked outside the city He was sent on a mission to sinners. And at the end of it all, he walked outside the city. But instead of sitting in the shade and waiting for the city to be destroyed, Jesus crawled on his cross and sacrificed his own life and became the tree that blossomed into a gigantic shade tree that offered shade and rest for the generations to come. For all generations. We sit here today as a result of God's mission. And He wants to transform us to be just like Him. To proclaim that God has abundant grace for abundant sinners just like us. Trinity Harbor, my church, my prayer for this church is that we too would have a ministry that would grow into a gigantic tree that offers shade and rest for generations to come. And we are hungry to see what kind of stories of redemption can happen. Because you are the plant.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are gracious to the utmost of sinners. Forgive us that we often mistake Your grace as something that we have earned that allows us to look at others in ways that we're not called to look. I pray, Father, that You would create in us a hunger and a desire to minister to the lost and to the broken, that You would give us new eyes to see those around us that are hurting, that desperately need You, the same way we do. We do ask, Father, that You would be with us and that You would empower us with Your Spirit, that we might recognize that we are like Jonah, but the Gospel longs to transform us to be like Jesus. I ask all these things in Your mighty name. Amen.